0: Welcome to season two of the First Prez Podcast. Last season was titled Gathered and Sent. It was all about our purpose and mission, being both gathered as the church to equip and encourage one another and sent to be the church in our neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. This season, we're focusing on the five values that guide all of our decisions as a church. We believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus, Who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission focused, and gospel fluent. So, welcome to Season Two Values and Direction. Some of you may have heard the name A.J. Jacobs. Uh, On his website, he describes himself this way it says, A.J. Jacobs is an author, a journalist, a lecturer, and a human guinea pig. Now, the reason you might be familiar with the name, um, he did a series of experiments and then turned them into best-selling books. So the first one, uh, the book was called The Know-It-All, One Man's Humble Quest to Become the Smartest Person in the World. And that book told the story of his experiment, 18 months reading and attempting to know the entire Encyclopedia Britannica, now, this was early in the 2000s, uh, kids. That's It's pretty much the internet, <laughs> okay? The internet uh, before the internet was a thing. Uh, it's His second book that you may actually be more familiar with, uh, it's called The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. So, Jacobs describes himself as a secular Jew, and this book tells the story of a religious experiment. He lived for one year, by the rules and regulations and the teachings of the Old Testament, now the story is pretty interesting. it's, it's funny, uh, but at a glance it, it paints a picture of it paints a picture of what could be described as a hideous book, like a hideous book of restrictions, a book that, that just seems to be utterly pointless. Another person you might be familiar with, uh, Sir Ian McKellen, is a world- famous actor, an incredible actor. Uh, he once said on an interview on the Today Show, he said that the Bible, every Bible should have a disclaimer on the front that warns the reader that this book is a work of fiction. Everybody has a perspective on the Bible. Everybody engages with the scriptures in a unique way. Everybody has an opinion on what the Bible is and how useful it is for us today. And the truth is, the Bible is this incredibly complicated but beautiful description of the nature of a loving creator who acts in ways that is surprising. And that can be really difficult for some people. The Bible is the story of the interaction that takes place when a holy and loving God encounters a human race that is perpetually in rebellion against him. It's an incredibly complicated story, and it's easily misunderstood. It's also often misused. So today, as we continue to talk about what it means to be a people who are biblically literate, I want to look at what the Bible says about itself. What is it that Scripture claims to be? What is it good for? And why is it important for us if we are going to fulfill our purpose of loving God and loving our neighbors— if we're gonna fulfill our mission of becoming disciple-making disciples of Jesus, then why is it important that we are a people who are biblically literate? So I wanna read to you a passage from 2 Timothy. Um, In this passage, Paul, uh, an apostle of Jesus, he was not one of the original 12 disciples. He comes to encounter Jesus in a really unique way in the book of Acts. But he is now an apostle of Jesus and his student Timothy requires his instruction as he continues in his ministry. And he's encouraging Timothy, don't give up. Don't give up when people stop listening to you. Don't give up when you find resistance in the church. Don't give in to social pressure. Trust the teaching that you've been given. Trust your teachers. And most importantly, rely on God's word as the source of truth and as the authority for this life and the next. Now, what I'm going to read, you need to know the context, it's taking place in the context of the church in Ephesus. And at the time, this church had given in to false teaching. The church began to believe that the ancient teaching of the scriptures had become outdated for them, that they had become a refined and advanced people, too advanced to be expected to obey such old and irrelevant stories and instructions. Paul himself was being persecuted because of his commitment to the scriptures in this context. And Timothy would be next. So I want to tell you, today is going to be a little different. I'm going to read this passage, and I just want to let it speak for itself. And then I want to share with you something personal that might help you consider the beauty of God's word for yourself. And we're actually going to spend this week and next week on this same passage. This week is a little more personal. Next week, we're gonna dig deeper into the text. So let's listen to Paul's words to Timothy and let's see and hear the truth for us some 2,000 years later. So this is 2 Timothy 3, and I'm gonna read from verse 14 all the way into chapter four, verse five. So it says this, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of Because you know those from whom you learned it, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then into chapter 4. It says, In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, pray that as we reflect on this scripture in a bit of a more personal way today that the truth of scripture would not be lost on us and that as we approach that scripture again next week to dig deeper into its teaching that these two weeks combined would convince us at a deep, deep level of our need to engage with scripture, of the need to know your word. So be present with us. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. So I grew up in a church that, at least from my memory and my experience of it, that church took the Bible as literal as A.J. Jacobs and Ian McKellen take it, just from a different point of view. You see, I think the truth is there's this militant literalism that can take us in one of two directions, either away from the Bible because it's intolerable to our modern sensibilities or toward it. Because we want nothing more than to escape the difficult realities of this life. Those are the two ends of the pendulum. The problem with such militant and absolute literalism, both for and against the Bible, is that it smothers it. It smothers it. It puts out the flame that grows within us as we encounter the truth of who God is and who God says we are. Verse 16 tells us, it says that the Bible is God-breathed and that's the right translation. Some translations use the word inspired and I understand why. The word inspired literally means to breathe in. The problem is that in our culture, the word inspired has come to mean something else. Um, I can be inspired by a good emotional story. I can be inspired by a profound or encouraging speech. I can be inspired by any number of things. But the Bible is first and foremost described as being breathed out by God. God breathed comes from his lungs, and only then is it breathed in by us. Now, that imagery is really important, and it's important to remember, don't be militantly literal. It's an image. God's word has come to us over thousands of years, communicated by God's spirit, To human hands who were a part of its composition. Those writers of scripture, they were not robots. They weren't just human printing presses. They were humans who were wrestling with God, part of a community that was wrestling with God, and they faithfully shared the results of those battles. That's part of what makes the Bible so messy and so complicated, but I believe it's what makes it so incredibly honest and beautiful. I always think back uh, to my first Bible class in college. And some of you have heard me share this story before. I'm gonna edit it a little bit today because there are kids watching. Um, It was an Old Testament survey class at the University of Houston. The professor was Dr. Lynn Mitchell. He actually just went to be with Jesus this past July. Uh, But Dr. Mitchell, in one class, he was explaining what it means that humanity was made in the image of God. We talked about this last summer. He was explaining what it meant that God's breath was breathed into humans so that they would resemble him in some way. Now, I remember that lesson in particular, it was like my mind was being released. I was being freed to think about the Bible in a bigger way than I'd ever imagined. And it was in a way that didn't attempt to smother the fire, but it actually fanned those flames in my soul. Now during that class there was a student and he began to argue with Dr. Mitchell about this and he firmly explained his perspective that being made in the image of God meant in his words that God physically looks like us. That's all it means. So relying on my literal Bible background at first I nodded along. I agreed. That's what I had always believed. That's what I had been taught. And Dr. Mitchell, he didn't argue against the possibility that God physically looks like us. He, he affirmed the idea in a way because of course in the person of Jesus, God was with us, fully God, fully human. But it missed his point. He was trying to get us to dig deeper, to consider that the image of God was about more than just the way we look. It was also about the way we think, about the way we feel, the way we respond, the way we interact with others, Any goodness that might come from us. The entire human experience is part of what it means to be a reflection of God's image. And man, that just, that fanned the flames for me. For me, that was a truly God-breathed word that I was inhaling for the first time. Now, I was still conflicted. I knew where the student was coming from. I couldn't disagree with him. Dr. Mitchell was just opening up some new doors in my soul and it was really exciting. (laughs) But then toward the end of class, um, that student, I mean, he just had it. He had enough. So he jumps out of his chair and he slams his hand on his desk and he shouts out, darn it. And I'm editing. He didn't actually say darn it. But he says, darn it. God has a, and then he goes on to shout out at the top of his lungs, the name of a particular part of the male body that makes a male a male. (laughs) Uh, It's a lot more powerful when I just quote him, but it's kind of awkward for worship and a little bit inappropriate. I I think you understand what I mean. And I'm telling you, as soon as he said that, I mean, in an instant, all of that militant literalism in me, it just collapsed. It washed away. I mean, even if that was true, was that really the point? What was important, the content of God's heart or the particulars of God's anatomy? I mean, it's like I needed to hear how ridiculous that sounded in order to have my mind finally open to the beauty and the incredible scope of God's word. It literally lit a fire in me that to this day can't be quenched. It was really like a moment of salvation for me. It was the first time I understood that there was so much more to scripture than unfortunately, at least at the time, my church had ever revealed to me. It was so empowering and exciting. That day, I went to my counselor at the University of Houston and I asked, I said, what degree will get me out of here fastest? And he said, psychology. I signed up and I was out as soon as I could. I graduated as fast as I could so that I could start seminary as soon as possible. And I didn't know if I would eventually become a pastor or not. I just knew that deep in my bones, I needed to know and understand scripture. Ultimately, one way or another, so that I could help others do the same. So that I could offer to other people what had just been given to me. The first part of our passage today, it said, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. I had to unlearn some things, but my absolutely literal church still taught me the basics of the Christian faith, that Jesus loves me, calls me to love others, that Jesus died and rose again so that I can be reunited with my loving creator forever. It gave me the good news But throughout my faith journey, I have continued to learn and become more and more convinced of the absolute truth found cover to cover in the pages of scripture. I told you that part of my story today because I would like for you all to consider this question. Has the Bible ever been brought to life in your heart and in your mind? If so, how? In the same way, how might you be uniquely equipped now to help bring the Bible to life for others? Maybe the answer is no, it hasn't been brought to life. And if the Bible has not been brought to life in you, if those flames have not been fanned in your soul, if the word of God for you for some reason has been smothered, then why? And what could you do today That'll help bring that fire back to life. You know, sometimes the only way to heal a broken relationship, I think all times, the only way to heal a broken relationship is to just confront it head on. And sometimes the only way to fan the flames of God's word in your soul is to just confront it. Just start reading it. But don't confront it alone, do it in community. I told you earlier the story of A.J. Jacobs and his living the Bible literally experiment. What's interesting about his story is that through it, he actually discovered that he couldn't interpret the Bible on his own. So he explains that every day he met with others to discuss its meaning and to discuss how to apply it to his life. And doing that actually drew him into community. And it drew him into a new way of thinking of others, especially thinking about those who believe in God. And for the first time in his life, he considered the possibility that there is one who created us. And he says that he began to feel a deep connection to the whole human family through that revelation. Now, by the end, he began to refer to himself as a reverent agnostic he would tell you he wasn't all the way there. But listen to how he describes his experience. And I'm quoting. He says Studying the Bible is not like studying sumo wrestling in Japan, it's more like wrestling itself. This opponent of mine is sometimes beautiful, sometimes cruel, sometimes ancient, and sometimes crazy relevant. I can't get a handle on him. I'm simply outmatched. You see, the Bible does not need a disclaimer to tell the readers that it is a work of fiction. What it needs is a warning to anybody who will read it that'll say this book is so true that it will read you. So don't just read it alone because you are simply outmatched. Now, I know that today was less about teaching scripture than it normally is, and that's kind of strange for me, but I thought this might be helpful and encouraging for you as we are trying to make the case that we must be a biblically literate church if we're going to obey our purpose to love God and others and if we're going to be successful in our mission to become a disciple-making church. Like I said earlier, next week, we're gonna dig into this passage a little deeper. There is a lot there to unpack but I do have a so what for us for today. And it's really practical. Today, I wanna share with you something that we're launching, something very practical. At times, it'll be painfully practical. Um, Our friends at First Presbyterian Church in Houston, they've begun a Bible reading plan over the next 100 days. And what I love about their plan is that they're offering multiple paths. There's a cover to cover path. They will read every word on every page in 100 days. And then there's another path that they're calling defining moments. It's 100 days through all the major narrative moments that'll give them a deeper understanding of God's story from cover to cover. So I asked them if we could borrow that idea and offer a similar journey to you. And they, of course, were excited to have us join them. So this is what it's gonna look like for us. Uh, First, this is an invitation. This is not a mandate. We're not changing your Sunday school curriculum. We aren't requiring everybody to do this. But if we believe that biblical literacy is important, if it's truly one of our values, then we need to get to work, no matter where we are on the scale of biblical literacy. Some of you, especially right now during this time of separation, you have time to dig deep, to work through the Bible every word, cover to cover in 100 days. And for those of you who feel up to that challenge, I'm going to take that path with you. So we're gonna provide for you a daily reading plan and then once a week, I'm gonna host a Zoom meeting so that we can discuss what we've read. Now, some of you, understandably, just don't have that much time and it is absolutely understandable. But we wanna encourage you to still do something, to take your next right step toward biblical literacy. So Sabrina will be walking that defining moments path with those of you who don't have the time to go cover to cover. We will provide a reading plan for that path as well and then Sabrina will host a weekly Zoom call where you can join her and discuss what you've read. We also wanna offer a path for families with children and students. Um, Our students are always invited to join any of the reading plans and join in on the call with either me or Sabrina. But our student ministry will also offer an opportunity to discuss those readings. For families with younger children, uh, there's a paraphrase of the Bible that's called the story of God's love for you. And maybe it's not appropriate to put an advertisement in a sermon, but I do just want to let you know the Kindle version right now is available on Amazon for $1.99. So it's called the story of God's love for you. And it's actually just the text version of the Jesus storybook Bible for children. It's just packaged without pictures so that adults won't be embarrassed if they're caught reading it. So we're gonna provide a reading plan that asks you as a family to read three of those stories a week over the 100-day period. And then Beth will host a Zoom call for parents who wanna talk about those stories and how to talk about those stories with your kids. She'll host that Zoom call once a week. So regardless of the path that you choose, our 100-day journey, it'll begin on May 4th. And there'll be a page dedicated to this on our website, where you can download those reading plans and then get the links to our weekly Zoom meetings for discussion. So I really hope and pray that during this 100 days that many of you will have an experience similar to mine. Not someone shouting inappropriate things about God and male body parts, but an experience where your love for God can grow, where a fire inside you can grow to the point that it can't be quenched. The truth is the secret to biblical literacy is a deep desire within you that's going to draw you to God's word. The good news is that desire is a gift of the Holy Spirit and it's available to everyone. We simply have to make ourselves available and allow the spirit to guide and lead us. We do all this to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, you are always present with us. I have had the experience of you being present with us in a unique way through this difficult season. So we pray that as the season of separation continues, that you will be present with us in a unique way as we begin to engage with scripture in a way for some of us that we never have before. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convince us that it is not enough to just hear me or Sabrina or Mark talk about the Bible once a week in worship, but that if we're truly gonna know you, if we're gonna truly know ourselves, we have to experience and engage with you on a regular basis. So God, I pray for the time. I pray that you would carve out the time in our day that we can give at least some time to the reading of your word. I pray that you would give us patience. The honest truth is that some of your word is confusing and difficult and complicated and even disturbing. Give us the patience and a sense of calm to navigate those rough waters. I pray that you would give us a sense of hope, hope that we'll actually make it to the end. But hope that in doing so, we will be drawn closer to you and closer to each other because we're gonna do this in community. God, I pray for the gift of wisdom and understanding that as we read your word, it wouldn't just go in one ear and out the other, that it would sit deep within us. We won't understand it all, but that we would begin to understand more and more, step by step, day by day, that we would understand more of who you are and who you say we are. God, be present with us always. Be present with us in a unique way as we begin to travel this road walking through scripture with you from cover to cover. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore Kingwood. We'll see you next time.